God's word as is given to us this morning is from Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continuously be in my mouth. My soul makes its bowls in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you all his saints. Those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and love many days that they might seek good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ears towards the, the, their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushing spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you taught us in Matthew 4, verse 4, saying that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every single word that comes from the word from your mouth. We ask you, Lord, that you will let us eat of you today as the word is being proclaimed. Let us be reminded that in the midst of dry and weary places, we are fed by you and sustained by you, just as you did with our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ during his time of trial and tribulation in the desert. We ask, Lord, that you will nourish our souls today. And we ask, Lord, that you will bless Pastor Brian 
as he comes here and preaches your word. Be with him and bless each one of us and let us enjoy your presence forever. In Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning, loved ones. It's great to be with you this last Sunday of 2019 as we look forward to a new year, 2020, a year of vision, 2020. Oh, God. Yeah, some of you are slow this morning. Yeah, a, a wonderful psalm to look at today. Uh, a, just a one Sunday psalm to look at as we say goodbye to one year and hello to another year. Uh, several years ago, there was a movie that starred Russell Crowe called The Good Life. If you haven't seen the movie, I'm going to spoil it for you uh, because I'm going to tell you all of the plot right now. But I just figure if you haven't seen it by now, you probably aren't going to see it. And so I'm, I'm going to save you the time. Uh, the, the movie starts out with a younger Russell Crowe, and he's living in France with his uncle. He's, been ra he's being raised by his uncle in this villa surrounded by all of these vineyards. His uncle is a winemaker. He's got this beautiful, beautiful uh, surrounding around the house, this lo lovely large villa, swimming pool and tennis courts. And it's just he and his uncle. He's got a young girlfriend that lives down the, the way that comes and swims in the pool with him from time to time. It just pictures this, uh, gives us a picture of this, this great life that he has growing up as a youngster. Then it jumps ahead to a, a modern-day Russell Crowe. He's a stockbroker uh, stock on Wall Street. He lives in the penthouse of this fancy uh, condominium apartment. He's driving the fanciest car, making lots of money. A lot of people uh, respond or answer to him. He calls them his, uh, his uh, lab rats uh, when he uh, brings them to, to work for him to make more money, to make more money, to make more money. And he set himself up now to, to enjoy a life completely different than that that he had growing up. What he's now calling the good life there in New York with all of the stuff that surrounds him. He gets a phone call one day that his uncle has passed away and he's left everything to him. And so he makes his way back to France in order to sell everything because he's just seeking a little bit more cash to get back to New York, back to the good life. But he gets back into uh, to, to France and he, he finds the, the villa in shambles. The, the, there's no net on the tennis court. It's all busted down and there's dirt instead of water inside the swimming pool. And there's uh, shutters falling off of the house. Everything needs to be painted. And so he's about redoing or uh, re rehabbing this particular property because he, he knows he can get more money for it if he, if he fixes everything up. And then suddenly he is flooded. His mind is flooded with all of these lovely memories from childhood growing up there with his uncle. Fast forward all the way to the end. It ends where he stays. He doesn't sell the villa. He stays. Uh, the little girl across the street is the single attractive girl that still lives there that he he gets uh, the girl in the end he, he gets everything in the end and he comes to the realization that the good life was the life that he had when he was eight years old and beyond not the life that he had made for himself back in New York I tell you that that story I spoiled that story that, that movie for you uh, because I think many times loved ones if we were really honest with ourselves that, that describes our relationship with the Savior, doesn't it? 
I mean, many times, many times, you know, growing up, things are going great in your life, and you, you got your arms wrapped around the Savior, and things are wonderful, and then suddenly we take our eyes off of the Savior, or something happens in our life that brings trouble or fear or tragedy, the death of a loved one, a, a poor diagnosis, a relationship that's broken, and suddenly we begin to go elsewhere to try to find that which we think is the void in our life. We try to find the good life, a better life, because Jesus didn't really do it all for me, so I've got to go find it somewhere else. It's the end of a new year, or the end of an old year. Christmas just ended a few days ago. Perhaps you had your eyes set on it was going to be the best Christmas ever. All your family was going to be in town. You were going to do all of these wonderful things together. And now that's all gone. And there's a void. There's a hole. Or maybe it didn't play out the way you wanted to. And so there's a hole or a void. Now you're looking to a new year, 2020, and you're thinking to yourself, it's just the same old, same old. Nothing changes. And so you're in pursuit of something that you think will turn everything around to make a good life for yourself. If that describes you, dear friend, then you, like I, are praising the Lord that Psalm 34 is in the Psalter, in God's holy word. Psalm 34 is what's known as an acrostic psalm. That just simply means that the first letter of each verse advances the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, Hay. It just each verse starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. When we ask the question, what is man's chief end? I mean, we're good Presbyterians, right? We know the answer to that. We shout that one out. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. John Piper put it this way, man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. I think we're very good at the glorifying part. We like to study worship in our Reformed tradition. We like our liturgy. I know I do. And we're good at the worshiping part, the glorifying part. But how are we at the enjoying him forever part? And that enjoying him forever doesn't just begin in glory and then throughout all eternity, but that begins today, enjoying him today. It's easy to do that when things in life are going well, isn't it? If everything is, is, uh, is fine, there are no persecutions, no troubles, no pain, then it's very easy to enjoy God. But what about when life deals you a hand that you weren't expecting? What about, what about when troubles increase, when fears increase, anxiety, lack of money, poor relationships, whatever it may be? Can you find enjoyment in the Savior then? This is exactly why Psalm 34 is in the Psalter, because that's the point, that we can always enjoy God, the goodness of God, because of his promises that he gives to us, that he seals to us, and he does that through the pen of David, his servant, the apple of his eye. Even in the bad times of life, you may be here today, and everything's great, but you know right around there you could walk out of here today and it not be so great. Some of you are here today experiencing all kinds of troubles and pains. The good news of the gospel is God is not unaware of those. He is fully aware of those and seals to you his gospel promises that are yes and amen in Christ. So David begins by looking at himself 
And he uses himself to testify to the goodness of God, how he is enjoying him even in the pains and troubles of life. Now let me give you the context of Psalm 34. If you're looking at your copy open in your lap before you, there's a heading that we didn't read at the beginning of Psalm 34, and it reads like this. Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. The context of this psalm is found in 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel chapter 21. And what we find there, this just a few chapters before, David is experiencing this wonderful relationship with his best friend Jonathan. Things are going great with King Saul, but King Saul becomes jealous, Jonathan's father. He becomes jealous because the multitudes are singing praises to David, but Uh, or to to Saul, but David has killed thousands upon thousands upon thousands of soldiers. And so there's a tension slowly off of Saul and on to David. And David uh, is now being pursued by King Saul, who who threatens his life, who's actually going to try to kill him. His now severed relationship with his best friend Jonathan He's now on the run. He's fleeing because Saul is trying to kill him. And what does he do? In his wandering about, he gets hungry. And so he goes to Abimelech. This is not the king, by the way. This is the priest. And he goes to Abimelech and he says he's hungry. And he talks Abimelech into giving him the bread of presence, the the ceremonial bread. He gives him the bread for nourishment and he eats it. And then he talks about his fear that he's going to be overcome and he needs some kind of a weapon. And so Abimelech gives him a sword, and it's an ornamental sword, and it is the sword of Goliath, the giant that David had overthrown and chopped off his head. So David flees again. Again, we're reading this in 1 Samuel 21. He enters into the city of Gath, and the people of Gath see this sword, and they recognize it because Goliath was from Gath. So here's my point. David was already in fear, He already was experiencing trouble and persecution and pain. And not only did the Lord not take it away when he cried out, but actually there was an increase in his trouble. There was an increase in his fear because now the individuals of the city of Gath see this sword and they are in pursuit of him. And so David plays like he's insane and he starts allowing the spittle to run down his face and so forth so that everyone goes... We don't want any part of that. And they leave him alone. And listen, friends, as soon as that happens, David sits down, and what does he do? He pins Psalm 34. He writes Psalm 34. Not when things are going great in his life, when everything is wonderful, but he has been sought He's had increase of fear and troubles and problems. And not only that, but now they increase even twofold, threefold, tenfold, however fold, when the individuals of the city begin to pursue him as well. And he sits down and he writes Psalm 34. Look how he starts in verses 2 and 4 and 6, where he talks about his afflictions. He talks about his troubles. He talks about his fears. But right in context with those words, he uses words like, exalt the Lord with me. Let's magnify his name together. 
He uses words that are the complete opposite. Even in the midst of his pains and his struggles, his fears, he says, exalt the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. To the point of verse 5, his face is radiant. Radiant with the knowledge, friends, that he still, even though life is not great, he is experiencing the goodness of a God who loves him beyond all measure. But then in verse 11, look at it. In verse 11, come, O people, he says. David now invites you and me into this same psalm to do the exact same thing that he's doing. Come, let me teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, David is not saying this, come and just be like me because I've got it all down. No. What David is saying is we're never alone in this life that we live together. We are the covenant family of God, marked from the foundation of the world by God's divine sovereign election and placed by the work of the Spirit into this covenant family in which we live today. We're never alone when we are in the covenant community of God. And so David is saying, O oh, people of God, O oh, children of God, come and let's do this together. Let's exalt his name together. Let's worship and magnify and glorify him. That's what he says in verse 11. And he says, here's what we are to do. Here's how we are to testify today. Here's the testimony of our life. Verse 8, taste, taste the goodness of the Lord. Verse 12, see the goodness of the Lord. And verse 14, do the goodness of the Lord. Taste, see, and then live. Live in the fullness of knowing the goodness of our great God who loves us. Why is it then, friends, why is it then that circumstances in our life are the very thing that defines our enjoyment in Him? When things are going great, then God is great. When things are not going so great, then God's not so great. And we take our eyes off of the good life, the best life, life in communion with Him, and we start putting them on stuff, on things that we think will fill the void. Doesn't that describe you? I know it describes me. So the beginning of this new year, we have this great hope. We have this great hope of tasting and seeing the goodness of God in order that we might do it. We might live, live it out. Look what, look what David says in verse 6 and then again in verse 17. This poor man cried to the Lord. And then verse 17, the righteous cry out to the Lord. Nowhere in Psalm 34 does David say, I cried out to him and immediately God took it away and then everything was happy again. Quite the opposite of what we just found out from the context of 1 Samuel 21. Things got worse for him, but that's when he sat down and pinned to this psalm and would say, the very things that I'm saying to you, taste, taste and see that the Lord indeed is good. God promises to prove himself to us Every single time that he is good, he is good, he is good. That ought to be the testimony of our life. Taste and see that we might live, we might do. But friends, listen. 
we will never be able to testify to the goodness of our God until we first have our minds sealed with the understanding that God is good by assuring us of a few things. He assures us of his presence and he assures us of his protection. Look at the first one. He assures us of his presence. Verse 15 and 16. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. The ears are toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, implying that his face is towards those who are righteous. We have the eyes, the ears, and the face. We have the attention of Yahweh himself. This is the Aaronic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you his peace. David knew that. And he's trying to seal that now to us, the Spirit, through the divine inspiration of his writing that down and giving it to us today. That the Lord is close, he says. Look at verse uh, 18. The Lord is close. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those that are crushed in spirit. As 2019 is about to end and 2020 is about to begin, are you here today, loved ones, and you're just brokenhearted? It's been the biggest letdown at Christmas, the biggest letdown of the whole year. I have nothing to look forward to. Are you brokenhearted? Are you crushed in your spirit? Here's the good news of the gospel. We can taste and see the goodness of our God because he is near. He hears, he knows, he understands. He's not just a God up in heaven like a deistic God who wound the clock and started everything and now has his hands off. No, he is a personal God in which we have a relationship through the Savior, his only begotten Son. He is as near as the indwelling of his Holy Spirit resting in your heart today if you are a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's near. He's present. But he's a God who seals to us, assures us of his protection as well. David was a soldier. David knew what death was all about. He certainly had seen soldiers that had suffered broken bones. But look what he says in verse 20. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. And we want to read over that very quickly. Because it may not mean very much to us, but I guarantee you it meant something to David. And it does actually mean something to us today as well. David would have known that an individual, when bringing a sacrifice to present to Yahweh, was to bring an unblemished sacrifice that it had no broken that had no broken bones. We read about that in Exodus 12 and in Numbers 9. David would have known that. He would have known that he was to present a, a sacrifice that had no broken bones. But what about you and me that are living on this side of the cross? I mean, David was looking forward now to one who was going to come to be that final sacrifice who also would be without blemish, without any broken bone. But then we get to John chapter 19 and the Roman soldiers run to the cross where Jesus is hanging because the, uh, uh, the threat of the setting of the sun and the Sabbath day coming and they went there for the purpose of breaking his bones so that he couldn't prop himself up anymore and prolong or extend his life. But they get to Jesus, John 19, and what do they find? He is already dead. 
So none of his bones were broken to fulfill the sacrifice, to fulfill the promise that here now is the unblemished Lamb of God with no broken bones who has paid the final sacrifice for people like you and me that we can taste and see the goodness of our great God. So we ask, Lord, how can I know? How can I? Didn't Abraham ask that when he said, look at the stars in the sky? Your family's going to be bigger than that. And what did Abraham, how did Abraham respond? Sovereign Lord, how will I know? When life deals you troubles and pains and fears and persecutions, how do we know that God is good? And God answers that question by saying, I gave you my son. I gave you the unblemished Lamb of God who takes away your sin. What a great gospel, isn't it? Somehow it just sounds too simple at times, doesn't it? It sounds so simple. And yet, this is the greatest news that we could ever hear. Finishing 2019 and about to start 2020, the greatest news that we could ever hear is that our God is good. And he delights because of his presence in showering us with his goodness, protecting us moment by moment, day by day, keeping us in the hand of Christ, in the hand of God, doubly joined forever and ever so that no one can snatch us from there. That's the good life. That's the greatest life that we could ever be given. Life inside the covenant community, life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. She was 15 and he was 17 when they met in high school. They dated through all of the years of high school, so no one was really surprised when they married. But some four years later, and two children, she didn't know why she did it, but she did, standing at a kitchen sink filled with dishes, dirty diapers falling out of the trash can in the corner. She simply took off her apron she laid it on the counter, and she walked out the door. She called later that night. Her husband answered the phone. How are the children, she asked. Where are you, he said. She acted as if she ignored the question altogether. How are the children? Well, if you mean, are they bathed and fed and in bed? In bed, yes, they are. But they're like, I am wondering where you are and what you think you're doing. Click. She hung up the phone. It wasn't the last of the calls. Matter of fact, it was the first of many, mostly every week for about three months. But every time the conversation would turn to her whereabouts, click. She would hang up. Her husband realized that, and so he began to change his tone. He began to tell her how her parents are keeping the children through the day while he was at work and how they are being well cared for, and how much they miss her. And then he would turn to his own feelings, telling her how much he loved her. I love you so much. I miss you so much. Won't you please, please, please come home? Where are you? Click. She would hang up. In utter desperation, he, he almost emptied his savings account, and he hired a private detector to find his wife, who did find his wife in a third-rate hotel room, in Des Moines, Iowa. He took the rest of his savings out and he bought an airline ticket. He flew to Des Moines, got a taxi cab, 
to the hotel, climbing the stairs. He was rehearsing his speech in his mind until he knocked on the door. The door opened, and there his wife stood, and suddenly his rehearsed speech was completely gone, and all he could say is, I love you so much. Won't you please, please, please just come home? She fell into his arms, and they went home together. About six weeks later, after the children had been put to bed and they were sitting in the living room next to the fire, he finally got up enough courage to ask the question that had been nagging at him for so long. Why, he said, why? Why, when every time you would call and I would tell you how much I loved you and how much I missed you, why wouldn't you come home? Because, she said, with such simplicity, profound simplicity, because before, those were just words. But then, you came. That's the Advent season that we just celebrated, loved ones. Christ came. God gave us his word, his words of assurance and promise, and then he sent us the word, the word made flesh to dwell among us, that we could live in this relationship of tasting and seeing that he indeed is good, glorifying the Lord and enjoying him forever. That, my friends, that is Psalm 34. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice in knowing that you seal these promises to our hearts and to our minds that we are yours, bought with a price. Our lives don't reflect that many times, Father, because the pain of life seems to trump the, the promises that you give. So allow us now, as we say goodbye to 19 and hello to 2020, every day, every moment of every day, let us live in this state of enjoying you, enjoying the goodness of our God, who allows us to taste and see that he is indeed just that. Seal that, Father, to us, please, today. And every day we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.